0: We are continuing our series entitled 2020 Vision. As a staff, we felt important that as we start this new year that we really begin the year asking if we see things correctly, if we are seeing things from God's perspective. Uh, Truly, we all have to uh, constantly ask this question. We have to say, am I seeing what God wants me to see? Am I seeing things from God's perspective? It's so easy for people to lose focus in our day and time and with the ease of the Internet and the popularity of social media we are all constantly bombarded with ideas, thoughts, and viewpoints that seek to persuade us in various directions. And what we often fail to see is how much we get persuaded at times and how much that persuasion takes us away from God and takes us away from His viewpoint. This loss of focus can easily happen no matter who you are. Therefore, it's imperative that we constantly ask the question, am I seeing things correctly? This 2020 vision, as I've mentioned, will be our overall theme throughout this coming year. Because even starting in two weeks, we'll begin our next series entitled 2020 Vision of Jesus as we begin a journey through the gospel of Luke. We're going to be looking at the life of Jesus to make sure that we have a proper view of him. We'll even be providing you a reading plan so that you can personally read through Luke as we preach through it. And several life groups are also studying through the gospel to go deeper into it together. Again, the goal is to make sure we have a proper view of Jesus. For today, however, we're gonna talk about living sacrificially. Here at Valley Creek, we have stated our purpose with three overarching words, love, live, and lead. Those three words truly summarize what we feel is God's desire for our church and for each individual life. Last week, we looked at loving deeply, and it should make sense that everything uh, God desires for us starts there. It starts with us loving God with all that we are, which then is naturally followed by loving others. In some sense, if we get loving deeply right, we may not even need the other two words because living and leading will naturally flow from loving God correctly. We state them, however, to give us clarity, to help remind us in part what loving God and others fully involves. As we think about live, the goal is this, is that you would live out what you believe. Many people in our world today claim to have a faith. More generally, uh, they claim to love God. But when you look at many lives, you wouldn't know it. There seems to be this disconnect in many lives where they say they love God and others, but they fail to live it out. Living out what you believe is really huge to the life of a believer. As we look at this topic more closely today, I want us to consider how God wants us to live sacrificially. Now, as I say that phrase, most likely there's probably two responses to that. One is, well, I'm really interested to hear what he says about sacrificial living. The others think this, well, he's just going to ask me to give more money. He wants me to sacrifice and he just wants me to give more money. Well, I will immediately say that's not the case because God wants something much more than your money. You see what God wants from us. We obviously have to turn to his word, and so if you would, I want you to take your Bibles, and I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 12, all right? Now, even if you have that on your phone, I'm not offended. If you pull up on your phone, just don't play games in between, all right? Uh, I don't care how you do that, but I really wish you'd open up a copy of God's word because there's something to me about holding a copy in your hand, however that is, or you can do that. If you use a pew Bible, you can probably turn to page 947, and you can get it there, all right? But as we have this, let's look together as we start Romans 12, verse 1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Now, let me pause before we keep reading. These first words of chapter 12 are important for us for this reason. Paul is making an appeal to believers, but he is making an appeal based upon something. The word therefore points us back to what he has just finished sharing. And what Paul had just finished sharing was 11 chapters explaining to us who Jesus is and what salvation is really about. The first 11 chapters of Roman is great theology. I mean, if you want to spend some time helping someone know what we believe theologically as believers about being forgiven and salvation, spend some time studying Romans 1 through 11. Paul, who was trained in the law, did a beautiful job of explaining the gospel and even addressing various arguments that people have against the gospel. Now, when he gets to chapter 12, a drastic change is happening. Paul makes a dramatic shift in what he's doing because he begins a very practical section to help believers understand how you live out the Christian life, how you live out what you say you believe. If you believe what chapters 1 through 11 say, chapters 12 through 16 says, here's how you live it out. Now, we're going to look at just two verses today. But again, you could read all of chapters 12 through 16 and find more practical guidelines on how to live as a believer. But everything that we are called to do is based upon what Paul's already laid out in the previous chapter. So much, in fact, I wanna maintain today that if you're going to live sacrificially, the first thing that God wants from you is this, that you need to rest in the mercies of God, all right? Let's, let's read now all of verse one. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living, sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. Here we are challenged to live for God based upon the mercies of God. Now we might have this tendency, when I talk about living for God and say, "Hey we're going to talk about living for God today, to quickly just jump to you saying, "Well, well, tell me what do I need to do? If I'm going to live for God, I want you to just tell me what do I need to do?" But that's not how it works with God, because catch it is. Before we do anything for God, we have to understand the mercies of God. For if we don't understand the mercies of God, we don't even know God. All right, think about this. What we truly need to do is learn to rest in the mercies of God. I hope you know that your only hope is that God is a merciful God. If you don't understand the mercies of God, you will spend your entire life trying to be acceptable to God, and what will happen is you will end up frustrated because you will always feel like you do need to do more when God says it's all already been done. Here's my guess for many. If you understood the gospel, which tells you that Jesus died for your sins, and if you place your faith in him, you can be forgiven and given eternal life, you still just see that as the starting point. You most likely still believe that to be a Christian, there's a series of things you have to do to be acceptable to God whether that was checking all the boxes on the old offering envelopes we used to use. You remember the old offering envelopes had all these boxes checked? I mean, did you read your Bible every day? Check. Did you give an offering? Check. Did you invite anybody to church? Check. You had all those boxes and some still feel today if I don't check all the boxes, I'm not acceptable to God, all right? You know what I'm talking about. Or some of you feel like there's just a whole list of things that you need to do. Maybe that was based upon some preacher said, if you're going to be acceptable to God, here's all the things you have to do, all right? Here's the problem with that. That probably changed from preacher to preacher. Because what one preacher wanted you to do, it seemed like the other preacher had a whole different list, right? So how do I know? What do I really do to be acceptable to God, all right? Now, you are more than likely today feel to be a Christian. There's more that you have to do if you're going to be acceptable to God. But here's the problem with this mentality. Again, you will eventually tire of God. If you keep the mentality that Christianity is a list of rules to follow or rules not to break or activities to complete, at some point you will get tired of God. You will resent him or possibly feel like he is an evil dictator trying to rule your life and you will end up hating him or at a minimum a little put off by him or resentful of him. And what everyone needs to understand clearly is that God is a God of mercy. God doesn't want us to get what we deserve. He wants us to have forgiveness and eternal life. He also knew that we couldn't gain this on our own, so he, in his mercy, he made provisions. In fact, listen to just a few verses in the first part of Romans. Romans 3 says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a what? gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God put forward as a propitiation that is really an atoning sacrifice by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has what? Faith in Jesus. Alright, Romans 5:1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Alright? Romans 8:1. Now, these verses and so many more in Romans point us to our hope. They point us to what Jesus has done for us. They remind us that God is the one who has provided salvation for us. He is the one who has provided peace with him. He is the one who has taken away our condemnation. And how did he do it? By a sacrifice. Jesus came in flesh to fulfill the requirements of the law by suffering and dying for sin, dying for your sin and my sin, taking your punishment and my punishment. And only the sacrifice of Jesus can make us right with God. You see, it is our faith in that sacrifice, and more importantly, the one who made the sacrifice that provides us the forgiveness we need and the new life we long for. You, I, everyone needs to rest in this mercy. And we can rest because even though we don't deserve God's mercy, He still wants to pour His mercy on us because that's who God is. Think about this, even in the, back in the book of Nehemiah, the prophet recounted all the ways that the people of Israel had rebelled against, against God. He also recounted all the ways that God had rescued his people from their failures and how the people continued to rebel against God, all right? But here's what Nehemiah proclaimed to God in Nehemiah nine thirty one. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them for you are gracious and a merciful God. Praise the Lord, Right? You see, our hope today rests in the fact that God is a gracious and a merciful God. And until you grasp God's mercy fully, you will not be able to fully appreciate what Paul goes on to say in verse verse one of Romans 12 when he says, and I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Because you see, once you rest in the mercies of God, you can surrender yourself to God, all right? You rest in his mercies and then you're able to surrender yourself. Notice Paul said what we are to do and the way we are to live is to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. There's no doubt that Paul was using terminology that his readers were familiar with especially Jewish imagery because they were used to sacrificing. I mean, Jews grew up with sacrifice as a constant part of their life. They offered sacrifices constantly. They also saw pagans around them worshiping sacrifice to their false gods, trying to please their false gods. But the sacrifice that we are called to give is a different one. The sacrifice that the Jews offered was a dead sacrifice. They would kill an animal and offer it to God. It was also a substitutionary sacrifice because it wasn't them, it was something in their place. However, the sacrifice that you are called to give is first, it's you. You present your body, it says. Then it is a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice. It is offering to God your very life. It is really standing before God and saying this, all right? It's saying, Lord, here is my life. Take it, it is yours. Do with it as you please. Now, some of you may hear me and say, well, brother, I, I don't think I can do, I, I don't think I can give up that much control of my life. I, I can't come before God and say, Lord, it's yours, do with it as you please. But you know what? My guess is everybody here at some point in their life, you've done that, at least on a small scale. Let me give you an example. How many here have ever went to an amusement park and rode a roller coaster? Go ahead and raise your hand. I just want to make sure you're still awake, okay? A-a- every one of us, all right? Some type of ride, we have done that. Well, here's what happens. When you sit down in that roller coaster and you get strapped in, you are saying, I surrender my life into your hands. Right? You cannot look at that operator of that coaster and say, This is what speed I want you to go. You can't look at the operator of that coaster and say, Well, here's the highest hill that I want to get. Or this is how how, how fast we can drop. And this is how many curves we can take. And you know what? I might want to get off in the middle. So you just be listening because I might want to stop. It's not going to work. When you sit down in that coaster and you strap in, you're saying, here's my life. I surrender it all to you. Do with it as you please, right? Here's what God is wanting from all of us to come to him and say, I surrender all. To come and say, Lord, here's my life. I bring it before you. You have your way with me. I'll let you to determine the number of hills and valleys. I'll let you determine the course of my life. God, I'm willing to go wherever you take me. Now answer me this. For those that heard the title and thought, well, he's going to ask me to uh, sacrifice my money, isn't this just a little bit bigger sacrifice? Yes, absolutely. But that's exactly what God is calling each one of us to do. Now, as we think about surrendering our lives to God, look again and even more completely at these descriptors of the sacrifice we are making. Paul said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy And acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, this sacrifice is described as living, it is holy, and it's acceptable to God. And I want you to consider this a moment. This sacrifice that we are called to give to God is only possible because of God. How is your sacrifice a living sacrifice? Because God is able to make you alive in Christ. Before Christ, you were actually dead. You were dead in your sin, but it is in Christ that you could be made alive to live for God. I know I shared these verses last week. I guess I shared them though at South Wilson, but I shared these verses, but they're worth repeating. It says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when you were dead in our trespasses, God made us what? Alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. See, listen, you can give a living sacrifice because Christ made you alive. How is your sacrifice able to be holy? Because in Jesus Christ, you can be holy. Colossians 121, and you who were once alienated and hostile in the mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you what? Let's say that, to present you what? Holy, holy and blameless and above reproach before him. How is your sacrifice acceptable? Because Jesus has made you Acceptable. 1 Peter 2, 4, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourself like living stones are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I I share this with you and want it clear because when you are told that you should offer your life as a living sacrifice to God, all right, here's what we have this tendency to do. We we wanna ask, well, why should I do this? The answer, again, is because of what Jesus has done for you. It is because of his mercies, because he has made you alive, because he has made you holy, because he has made you acceptable, you should offer your life to God, because we're the whole realm of nature, mine, that we're an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. God is worthy of your life. What I want you to clearly see is you offer your life to God, not out of obligation and duty, but out of love and gratitude. When you do something out of obligation and duty, it is often drudgery. When you do it out of love and gratitude, it is joyful. You know that to be true, right? We're not too far from Christmas that we know this to be true, right? Here's what happened to some of you at your work. Y'all had that annual Christmas party, right, that you didn't really want to go to anyway because your schedule was busy. And to make it even worse, y'all drew names, so you had to get gifts for somebody. And lo and behold, you drew the name of the one person you really didn't want to get a gift for, Right? But here's what happened. You got it anyway, and you did it. You did it out of duty. You did it out of obligation, but it was drudgery. You hated every minute of it. But what about that person you loved at Christmas? Here's my guess is that person you loved, you couldn't get to store fast enough to buy something, right? And not only that, even after you bought it, what was your thought? I wish I could have bought more, Right? I wish I had bought more because that's how it is. It's not drudgery when you're doing it for the one you love. Folks, listen, if you have a relationship with God through a faith in Jesus Christ where you truly understand his mercy, where you have been made alive in Christ, where you understand you've been made holy in Jesus, and when you grasp that you are acceptable, not because of what you have done, but because of what Jesus has done on a cross, then you realize it is not too big a thing for you to sacrifice your life to God because the sacrifice of Jesus was already a bigger sacrifice. In fact, the word used in verse 1, translated spiritual worship, can be translated as reasonable or rational worship. The Greek word is logican. It is related to a word that we use. Can anybody guess what word it would be? Logical. Yes. All right. It makes sense. In other words, surrendering yourself to God makes sense when you understand the truth of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for you, a sacrifice that secured your eternal destination and gave you true life, even true life in the present moment. Now, if you get to the place where you can say, God, I I surrender my life to you, then you can do what Paul writes in verse two. Look at what he goes on to say. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, to help you understand what Paul is saying here, let's look at what we are called to do this way. You are called to join God in his working, within and without. When you truly surrender your life to God, you're saying, God, have your way with me. I am yours, do as you please. As you do that, you need to know that the first thing God wants to do is to change you from the inside out. God is more concerned about who you are than what you do because when you are who God wants you to be, you will do what he wants you to do. Let me say that again. When you are who God wants you to be, you will do what he wants you to do. Therefore, we start by joining God in his work within us. Now, how do we let God work in us? First, we refuse to be conformed to the world. Being conformed means to be forced into a mold. Now, I hope you realize that the world is constantly seeking to conform you to its mold. Its mold says that you have to have a certain thing to be accepted or successful, or you have to look a certain way to be lovable or attractive. The world is trying to tell you that politically you have to think a certain way to be right or with the times. The world is trying to tell you that you have to act a certain way to be hip or cool or to be in step with others. We can mention many other things today, but the world continues to get us to, to, to try to conform to its image, its values, its desires. And let's not pretend as believers or the church itself that we have not given into this temptation to conform to the world because many times believers and the church have often looked so much like the world that you cannot tell the difference between who believes in Jesus and those who don't. So what we have to do is let God work within us by first refusing to be conformed to the world, but then you let God transform you. The word transform is so key. Many of you have heard this before, but... And then let me share it with you that the Greek word here is the word metamorphose, all right? Now, we recognize an English word. Anybody recognize an English word from that? Metamorphosis, all right? It's what happens to a caterpillar. Now, I'm not sure if you know what happens to a caterpillar because you know it builds a cocoon in which it becomes a butterfly. But do you know what happens in the cocoon? Do you know? One scientific website I was on this week stated it this way. To become a butterfly, a caterpillar first digests itself, but certain groups of cells survive, turning the soup into eyes, wings, antennae, and other adult structures. Think about that. It first digests itself, it ceases to be as it was. It digests itself, and it becomes a soup, which then becomes a butterfly. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you this. It's really not part of my sermon, all right? It's not a point, but I'm going to go ahead and say it with this. Even a butterfly reminds us that we have a creative creator, God, who is in control of all things. All right? A caterpillar, though, radically transforms to become a butterfly. As we think about that, let's be reminded that God wants us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. A person who becomes a believer undergoes a radical transformation in the way they think and the way they look at the world. To accept what Jesus has done for you and rest in the mercies of God, you have to undergo a radical transformation in the mind. Everything bombards you with the idea that you have to earn salvation, or it's what you do that determines the eternal destination when God says that's not right. And to truly believe that Jesus has done what is necessary for your salvation, take the transformed mind. If you're going to operate by God's values, you have to undergo a transformed mind that looks at everything differently. God's mind will tell you to value all people when the world says some people are not worth valuing. Who is it to be valued and not? Just depends on who's doing the valuing. A life conformed to the world says look out for number one. A transformed mind says think of others better than yourself. A conformed mind says some things can never be forgiven. A transformed mind says all things can be forgiven. A conformed mind says some lives are not worth living, while a transformed mind says all life is valuable. A conformed life says it's all about me, while a transformed mind says my life is to be lived for others. A conformed life seeks to consume for self. A transformed mind seeks to invest in the lives of others. And when you join in God's working within you, here's what will happen. You will change, right? It will change who you are, the way you think and what you do. Now, Now, here's what happens. When you let God work in you and change you, you will join his work without. In other words, you will join God in the work he is doing in the world and find his will for you. Look at verse two again. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Can I ask you this morning, who wants a life that is good and acceptable and perfect? All right. Well, listen, we all do. And if you will join God in his work, you will discover that kind of life. In fact, let's consider this. What God wants to do with you in 2020 is twofold. Change you within so that you might help change the world without. If you rest in God's mercy, then surrender your life to God and join Him in His work. You will, help, uh, you will help change the world. And how will you help change the world, you may ask? Well, that depends on how God wants to use you. God may lead a business person to look at their business not just as a way to make money, but as a way to change the world. It could be, for example, that they would find a way to invest in those getting out of prison by giving them job training and a job to help them get back on their feet as they point them to Jesus and change the life of a person, a family, and a community. It could be that God leads a doctor to leave a medical practice and move to a foreign country to start a clinic in a third world country. It could be that God leads someone who is retired to not just figure out, well, when's the next trip I'm going to take, all right, but then leads them to volunteer regularly in the schools to help mentor children or possibly even take a mission trip to a foreign country, not for just a week, but for months or even years. It could be that God leads a recent graduate not to take a job in a comfortable city in the U.S., but to seek a job in a foreign country that is closed to the gospel so that they can go to that country as a missionary in disguise and take the gospel to a place that couldn't normally. All right, go. All right? It could be that God leads a single parent to start a support group for others struggling with the stress of a recent divorce to help others find hope and practical pointers and, above all, the love of Jesus. It could be that God places on the heart of a single person to choose being single as a lifestyle in order to serve God more fully. It could be that God leads the one who's been blessed financially to not give 10% of his or her income to the work of the Lord, but to keep only 10% and give the rest to the Lord because they know their 10% is still more than many make out a whole of their money. Think about this, all right? It could be that God places on the heart of a child to start a foundation to help those battling cancer because she witnessed a friend battle cancer and she wants to help. It could be, um, oh, the list is long. The list is inexhaustible because God's good, acceptable, and perfect will will be displayed differently in the lives of his diverse family as he leads. And here's the great part. If you let God change you within and and, 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 and it leads to what you do without... It will not even seem like a sacrifice. St. Augustine said it well when he said this. Listen very closely God's goal for you is for you to love him and then do what you want. God's goal for you is to love him and then to do what you want. Now, maybe some of you are asking, well, did he just misquote St. Augustine? Did St. Augustine misspeak or or is he just getting this all wrong? No, I I, I didn't misquote. St. Augustine didn't misspeak because this, think about it. When you love God and think like him, you want what he wants. That's the point. That you love God so much that it so transform you that what you want is what God wants, all right? So when you are sacrificing it all to God in the end, as you give it to the Lord and he transform you, this sacrifice that you're called to give doesn't even feel like a sacrifice at all. Now let me wrap up today by saying this. God so loved the world that he wanted to save the whole world so he sacrificed his only son. We too should love the world so much that we would live sacrificially. As we come to a time of invitation, I wonder today, are you willing to surrender your all to Jesus? You can answer that yes if you rest in the mercies of God. Have you experienced his mercies? If not, today is the day to give your life to Jesus. He loves you. He gave his life for you. Are you willing to give your life back to him? Are you willing? If you do, he will save you today. Know this, I know this morning as we come, there's no doubt there are people here who need to rest in the mercies of God for the first time. If we look around, here's the reality. Every one of us, all right, we're in need of God's mercy because we all have sinned, we all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all needed his mercy. Thankfully, listen, Jesus came to die so that we might be forgiven. If you've received Jesus, you know the joy of being forgiven and given the gift of eternal life. There are some here today that have never received that mercy. I wanna encourage you today to come and open up your heart to God. Say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I need a savior. And today, I wanna invite Christ to come in my heart and take control because I know only his sacrifice can pay for my sin. And come give your life to him and you'll discover the greatest joy ever as the Lord comes in and saves your soul. But believer, I want you to know this. God wants your surrender as well. Are you willing to say, Lord, this is my life. Do with it as you please. If so, I know that God wants to work in you because there are still parts that need to be transformed. Right? Anybody perfect here today? Please don't raise your hand. There's not, so you know what that says? God's still working. I still need to come to the Lord and say, God, I surrender all. Have your way in me. God, help me to not be conformed to this world, but transform my mind, God, so that I will think like you, Lord, so I desire like you, so then I will live as you want me to live. Let God today come and transform your mind and just see what God will lead you to do for him in the days, the weeks, the months, the years ahead. And if you do that, I know He will lead you to live sacrificially for Him. But because you're doing it out of love, it won't even feel like a sacrifice at all. Would you pray with me, Father? We come to you again today, and Lord, your love is so overwhelming, so amazing, as we briefly sang a while ago. It's a love that can only be described as divine. It is so great. But I thank you, Father, that you desire to pour that love down upon us and you've showed us that love through your Son, Jesus. And I thank you for those here today that have received that love, placed their faith in Christ, and are walking in that mercy today. I pray that you would help us all, Father, today to rest in your mercy, to be mindful that it is what Jesus has done for us and it is finished. And for some here today that have never given their life to you, I pray in these moments they would choose to surrender their all to you. And discover the eternal life that only Jesus brings. Father I pray that you'll speak to all of us. Because every one of us here Father. Today we struggle with the control of our life. And we don't want to give control to you. Father help us all today to surrender to you. And let you transform us. So that Father we might live out your perfect will. That good acceptable perfect will. Which we know you'll show us. As we surrender to you. So during this invitation, God, my prayer would be that as your spirit moves, that people would listen and respond. Those that need to would come and, again, surrender their all to you today. And as I pray these things, I pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.